Welcome to this Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Episode number 36. Welcome to episode 36 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. I was recently asked by a listener to do a podcast on filters. In recent years, digital photography has done away with the necessity for some filters, such as daylight filters, uh, warm-up filters, etc. As most uh, colour correction is now taken care of, uh, and I must say much more easily, uh, by the white balance feature on our digital SLRs. Uh, There are still certain filters that I use today, though, and some that I am now shying away from in favour of Photoshop. Listen on for details, along with some real-world examples, as usual. In my film SLR days, which started really back in 1991, I used the Kokin A-System filters... The A-System holder and filters are quite small and are only compatible with lenses of a filter diameter up to 62mm. In my film days, I didn't own any lenses with a filter size larger than 58mm, so it was fine for me back then. Uh, on moving to digital, however, some five years ago, uh, and buying my first 77mm lens, I bought into the P-Series uh, or the piece system, with a uh, holder and a number of filters. The piece system is good up to 82mm, and apart from my 600mm f4 lens that doesn't actually accept uh, any screwing filters uh, on the front of the lens, I don't own anything wider than 77mm, so this is still fine for me now. I doubt, though, that the P system would work well with the ultra-wide focal length, uh, say it's 16mm, uh, now that I have a full-size sensor camera. Uh, I would find almost definitely that there'd be some vignetting, uh, and so if you're about to buy into a system and use wide-angle lenses with 35mm film or sensors, you'd be wise to check this out fully first. The Kokin website states uh, that in 35mm terms, for focal lengths as wide as 28mm, the P system is okay. For up to 20mm, the Z Pro system is recommended, and for 14mm, the X Pro system is recommended. There's actually, though, a little contradiction between the information on the Kokin.com and the Kokin.co.uk sites. The Co.uk sites uh, say that the for shorter lengths uh, down to 20 to 24 or 28 millimeters, uh, as well as for wide angle range zooms, uh, the 24, 24 to 50 millimeters, 28 to 85 millimeters, or 35 to 135 millimeters, the P system is strongly recommended. So, I, I think it's probably best if you can take your camera and a few lenses with you to the store and ask to try a few different uh, systems within the coking range and other manufacturers if they have them and you know just try it all out before you buy if possible in addition to the uh, holder that you buy you need an adapter ring for each filter size of the lenses that you want to use the system with you only need to buy one filter uh, for use with all your lenses as long as it's in the range uh, of the system that you choose 
Reading from the Colkin website, the A system has an adapter rings from 36 to 62 millimeters. The P system goes from 48 to 82 millimeters. The next size up is the Z Pro series, which goes from uh, 49 to 96 millimeters, and then there's the X Pro series that ranges from 62 to 112 millimeters. And there are a few other options uh, for each system as well. You can find a chart on the Colkin website, and I'll drop a link to the .com and the .co.uk websites into the show notes. The ranges of filters from Colkin is pretty extensive, and I'm sure there are other manufacturers uh, that make similar products. Uh, although I do use circular screwing filters from other manufacturers that I'll get to later, I've never used a square drop-in filter system from another manufacturer. And as I don't like uh, to talk to you about uh, stuff that I have not got first-hand experience with, I'm not going to search around the web and provide second-hand information to you on manufacturers of other products. If anyone, uh, any of the listeners or forum members uh, do use another system that uh, you can vouch for, please post comments and links uh, in the uh, forum at martinbaileyphotography.com. I'm sure it will help other listeners to get a, a more all-round and unbiased view of uh, what is available. Colkin do filters for different applications, such as those uh, that produce stars and other special effects. And I've experimented with some of these too, but the type of filters that I continue to do, use today are graduated grey and uh, solid neutral density filters. Gradual or graduated grey filters are what they say. The grey part of the filter uh, that will cut down the light that gets to the film or sensor without modifying its colour gets gradually weaker until it, it basically graduates out. And that's usually around the centre of the filter um, and it becomes tro- totally transparent from that part. The other type, the solid type, uh, has a uniform grey density across its surface and so will reduce your exposure by a certain number of stops across the entire image, and not just part of it, as do the gradual neutral density or grey filters. Firstly, let's look at a very old photo of mine, shot uh, way back in 1993, uh, which is image number 26, a very small number, uh, one of the first that I uploaded to my website. You can see here that the water has a flowing feel to it, uh, caused by the long exposure. You can also see that apart from the shadow areas of the shot, it's a relatively bright day. Uh, So even stopping down the lens aperture down to say maybe f22 may well not give you a slow enough shutter speed to obtain the flowing effect in the water under these conditions. Now I have no idea what settings I shot this image at. Uh, EXIF data uh, attached to every image is a luxury of the digital age and I was not very good at making um, documents or notes of my shooting data in my film days. I would imagine, though, that looking at at the detail in the trees in the distance, that this was um, shot at around f16 or f22. Although my website states that I used a P-System ND4 or a Kokin P153, it says, uh, for this shot I was actually using the A-System, not the P-System. the ND in the name of the filter stands for neutral density, and 4 is the transparency uh, of the filter or, or the amount of light that it cuts out uh, 
Um, basically, ND4 will cost you two stops of exposure. So you will either need to open your aperture uh, by two stops to make up the exposure, or you'll have to make the shutter speed slower by two stops. Of course, you could do one stop of each uh, or any other combination of thirds or half stops to obtain, obtain the same exposure. But the main reason I use an ND filter is to enable me to make a longer exposure. As I said, the, uh, I don't have the shooting data for this particular shot, but I estimate that I was using around f16 for half a second or so. If I had not used the ND4 filter, my shutter speed uh, would have been an eighth of a second uh, at that same aperture. That's basically just halving the, uh, the shutter speed to one quarter of a second for one stop and then halving it again to one eighth of a second for the second stop uh, that this filter cost me. Now, one eighth of a second wouldn't probably be enough uh, to enable me to make the water look uh, like flowing silk. So the only way I was going to get this shot uh, would be to stop down to a very small aperture. Sometimes stopping down to a very small aperture may not be possible or you may, may just not want to. So, for example, one shot that I'm planning right now, uh, sparked by the contrasting colours assignment, is shooting a set of traffic lights when all three lights are illuminated. I've uploaded my attempt uh, to the example photos album on my website. The number is uh, 984 if you want to take a look. Uh, But I'm now actually waiting for a rainy evening so that I can get some reflections in the road and just add a little bit more uh, interest to this shot uh, before putting it into my main albums. Anyway, I went out with my camera uh, for this shot a week or so ago, uh, and I always have a small notepad with me, um, and in the notepad I wrote down the times that that it took, the, the length of time that each light was illuminated for. And... I found that the amber, or the yellow light, uh, was illuminated for about four seconds, which means that I needed to get the last four seconds of the green light, then the first four seconds of the red light, uh, either side of the four seconds of the amber light. So to achieve an exposure of all three, uh, an equal exposure of all three, I would need an exposure of around 12 or 13 seconds. So if I stop down to f16 without a filter... I was going to get a a meter reading of around 3.2 seconds at night, which wasn't long enough to to make this shot. Remember, though, that I had planned this shot and I'd taken a circular Kenko Pro 1 Digital ND8 neutral density filter, a screw-in filter. Uh, This would allow me to increase the time needed for the exposure. ND8 filters will cost us three stops of exposure, so the 3.2 seconds I was getting at f16 would increase to 25 seconds. I have to half this to 13, uh, which is what I needed to get an equal exposure of all three traffic lights. So I open the aperture up by 1 to f11 and set the shutter speed to 13 seconds in manual mode. I timed when the lights would change and then trip the shutter 4 seconds before the green light Uh, was going to go off and the amber or yellow light was going to become illuminated. Eight seconds into the exposure and the amber light would go out and the red light would come on and for the last four seconds 
the red light would be illuminated before the shutter closed again. I then got a shot uh, with all three lights in the same shot uh, and they were all equally exposed. This would not have been possible without the neutral density filter. Even stopping down my lens uh, to its smallest aperture of f22, uh, without the ND filter I would have only got an exposure of uh, 8 seconds, uh, so that wouldn't have been enough. By the way, I was using ISO 50 for the shot, so lowering the ISO anymore was not an option either. I simply needed uh, at least two less stops of light uh, to make this shot. Now, this is quite a strange plan that I had, uh, but my point is is that uh, creative thinking puts us in situations that we cannot get around without physically reducing the amount of light that hits our camera's sensor or film. And that's where the neutral density filter comes in. Going back to the P-System filters from Koking, uh, something that I should note is that the filter holder takes up to three filters. Let's take a look at an example, which is image number 62, uh, that I shot some four years ago uh, with my trusty old EOS D30. Uh, For this shot, I doubled up the... Uh, graduated grey G2 ND8 filter uh, with that's the uh, Koken P121 uh, and that reduces the amount of light that gets to your camera by three stops uh, and the gradual grey G2 ND2 uh, which is P121L uh, in the Koken range and the L stands for uh, light So this filter only reduces the light entering the camera by one stop. You can tell that, of course, by the ND2. Um, It seems that ND8 reduces by three stops, ND4 by two stops, and ND2 by one stop. So there is also a P121M, which stands for medium, and that is rated at ND4, so reducing the light by two stops. I don't actually own one of these uh, filters, though. So anyway, together with the uh, P121ND8 and the P121LND2, I was reducing the light that entered my camera by four stops. Uh, I needed to do this uh, because Mount Fuji in the background there was uh, so bright that it was going to be very, very difficult to balance the exposure. If I had tried to... Um, meter for Mount Fuji, the the foreground, the boat and the red Shinto shrine gate there would have been very dark, too dark. Um, so really I needed to either brighten one or darken the other. And the neutral density is there to darken areas, so obviously that's what I'm going to try to do. So note here too that a good thing about using gradual filters uh, is that you can turn the holder uh, to any angle. You can Actually, if you're using the slide-in, um, I said square earlier, they're more rec- rectangular. Uh, the rectangular filters, you slide them into the holder, uh, but you can actually um, stop them anywhere so that you only get a certain amount. You know, Maybe just the top third or the top quarter of the uh, frame would be, would be covered by the, the darker or the gray part of the filter. So you know, you're only getting a very small area, or you could bring it down almost to the bottom of the filter. Uh, holder so that you're getting most of the shot and only the very bottom remains light so you can move the um, the line the graduated line up and down in the frame or turn the 
holder to any angle uh, so that you can sort of get a diagonal line, go across a diagonal line. And that is exactly what I did in this shot. I had lined the filter up so that it ran across the diagonal line of the trees that runs from the top right of the frame to down towards uh, maybe one third or so from the bottom of the left uh, bottom corner of the frame. I haven't touched this uh, photo up in Photoshop in any other way apart from playing with the curves a little. So you can probably appreciate that the graduation is not visible uh, if lined up correctly with an image, a part of the image that will not, uh, that will help help you to hide it really. So put it in there at an angle. Do anything you need to do to um, align the graduation with something in the shot, and you can pretty much make it disappear. Also note that the um, effect of the filter is more easily seen when you're trying to set up the shot if you press your camera's depth of field preview button uh, to stop down the aperture while you're looking through the uh, finder. So moving on to two more images, and I'm going to talk about uh, the only other type of filter that I really use these days, um, creatively that is, and that is the old uh, faithful polarizer or PL filter. You can get PL filters for the coking system, slide-in filters, uh, but I always actually use a circular polarizer that screws straight onto the uh, filter thread on the front of my lenses. The drawback is that when you need to buy, uh, well, you, when you buy a new lens, you have to buy a new PL filter for it um, if the uh, the filter thread is different size. So I have currently, um, I think, 58 millimeters. Uh, 72 and 77 and I think it was a 67 millimeter uh, for my 17 to 85 millimeter EFS lens that I, I bought with my 20D. As the last PL filter I bought was uh, one of the Kenko uh, Pro 1 digital range. Uh, this set me back um, probably the equivalent of around 130 US dollars uh, for one filter so if you're on a tight budget, it might be worth considering buying just the one PL filter for a system like Coking, uh, or you could buy one uh, PL filter for the largest lens that you own and then buy step-down rings uh, for the smaller filter sizes. The problem here is that uh, the PL filter might end up uh, wider than your lens hood, uh, making it uh, impossible to use them both together. So note that you can also actually buy lens hoods uh, to fit onto the front of the uh, coking system, the holder, as well, but I've never actually bought one of these either. Anyway, uh, first let's look at image number 154. This is a shot of the Kushiro Marsh uh, made in August uh, 2003 during my very first visit to the uh, island of Hokkaido, at the northernmost part of Japan. Uh, the the island that I visited in February this year again, and that I spoke about in depth in episodes 25 to 28 of this podcast. Now, before we talk about the shot that I've just mentioned, number uh, 154, I want you to try to open two windows at the same time, and with the second shot, number 185, also visible. Uh, as I explain about the shots to make my point... Uh, Note that the first image was taken just 31 seconds after the second image. 
If you are viewing the images on my website, uh, on the podcast page, just right-click the two images, the thumbnails, and select uh, to open in a new window or new browser window. If you're viewing it iTunes, uh, you should be able to just click the little right arrow above the thumbnail and then click the um, the image, you know, the, the next image that comes up to open both of them. The most striking thing um, or the most striking difference between these two shots will be the water in the first image, uh, 154, being very dark. And in the second image, uh, number 185, it's very bright. Another difference, uh, though not as noticeable maybe, uh, is that the sky is a little darker in the image with the darker water. Another big difference is that the greens and the uh, tree stump in the uh, foreground of the image with the darker water or the bluer sky uh, is much more vivid. The image with lighter water actually has deeper, uh, more saturated greens, uh, so I'm not sure which one I like from this perspective though. I guess this is one of those personal preference things again. There is actually one other difference between the shooting information. That is that the first shot with the darker water was shot at one-tenth of a second. And the second shot with the bright water was uh, actually made at one-thirteenth of a second. This will probably help to, or probably will have helped to make the greens and the the tree stump a little brighter. Uh, But the main reason for that as well was that... um, I had turned the polarizer filter, uh, causing the camera to select a different uh, shutter speed, as it would have actually affected the amount of light that gets through to the uh, camera's sensor. For the first shot, I'd adjusted the polarizer filter for maximum effect, uh, but in the second image, I turned the filter around uh, 90 degrees one way, I, I don't remember right or left, or clockwise, counterclockwise, anticlockwise, uh, but I'd basically turned it by 90 degrees or so, and it was now giving the minimum effect. As you turn a PL filter on your lens, you can see the difference uh, in the effect. So uh, what I want to say is that um, you know, just dropping a PL filter on the front of your lens and shooting will not always give you the desired ef- um, effect, uh, unless you're lucky enough to stop screwing it on at exactly the right point, that is. Uh, this is something that, also came up in the forum in the last week. Uh, But when using a polarizer, remember that the effect is the strongest when you point it at around 90 degrees uh, angle from the sun. The sun was almost directly overhead when I shot these two images. Um, So conditions were not ideal. uh, But uh, under the right conditions, you should be able to see a clear sky turn to a very dark blue, for example, or you can remove the sheen from metal or plastic surfaces. Even the um, the light reflecting from greenery uh, can be intensified or, or made to be more saturated by using a, a polarizing filter. Uh, you can actually also easily overdo the PL effect on uh, days with very clear skies, as the, cli- the sky can be um, rendered to a very, very deep blue, almost black. Uh, so... These can, in these conditions, you're wise to, you'd be wise to uh, really not go for the strongest possible effect. There has also been a discussion in the forum recently about this, uh, started by Landon, one of the major contributors to the site. Uh, Landon mentioned that when adjusting the 
effect on the filter, make sure that you turn the polarizer in the same direction uh, that it screws onto your lens. This is basically to stop it from becoming loose and possibly falling off while you're rotating it. Landon also suggests using gaffer tape to to tape the polarizer to the front of the lens, uh, also to stop it from rotating and falling off, uh, more so in high vibration situations like when uh, sitting on a helicopter. Landon assures us that the gaffer tape uh, can be removed very easily uh, after shooting without leaving any sticky mess on your lenses too. So, great tips, Landon, and thanks very much as usual. The ensuing discussion is quite interesting too, so I'll drop a link to this uh, thread in the show notes. So, I mentioned in the introduction that there are some filters that I'm uh, now shying away from uh, in favour of Photoshop. Basically, I'm finding more and more that I don't carry my Coking Gradual Grey filters around with me. Uh, When I think I might need them, I still carry them sometimes, but I now find that what I do is I'll use them just for comparison with the Photoshop version to prove something to myself. I shoot the scene in the traditional way using the Grad filters, uh, and then I shoot two shots uh, uh, without the filters, basically, Uh, but one exposing for the bright areas and then one exposing for the shadows. And then I merge them in Photoshop to emulate the results of the gradual grey filters. And more and more I'm finding that I'm using the Photoshop merge rather than the gradual grey filters. Take a look at the last image for today, number 935. Uh, I briefly mentioned this image in episode 28-2, Uh, This was a shot of the Oshin Koshin Falls in Hokkaido, and it's actually two shots merged together emulating the grey filter effect, or the gradual grey filter effect, I should say. The challenge here is that the bottom of the falls was in very heavy shadow, as the sun had not yet rose uh, high enough in the sky to light the whole area. This does, of course, have the benefit of a much more saturated blue sky, and before you say it, the uh, the dark the dark blue sky here is natural, um, caused by the contrast between the um, the sky and the bright snow and the angle of the sun. And it was not overdone PL filter. I wasn't even using a PL filter here because I didn't want to reduce the sparkle in the water. Uh, remember that uh, if you use a PL, it will make water transparent, uh, though probably not um, totally transparent in the case of a waterfall. Um, Anyway, uh, what I did was I made a number of exposures, um, including a few with the gradual grey filter, as I said, and I aligned it across the uh, top of the frame to reduce the contrast between the top of the falls and the uh, lower part of the falls, the heavily shadowed area. Um, But these shots really didn't come out very good at all. So I decided to go with the Photoshop Merge, which is what this is. Both shots for the Merge were uh, made at ISO 100 at f20 and shot with the 16-35mm f2.8 lens. The top of this image had a shutter speed of 1 13th of a second and the bottom of the image uh, was shot at uh, 1 6th of a second. I copied the image with the blown out top uh, but brighter shadow area uh, that I used for the bottom of the image uh, onto the clipboard in Photoshop and then pasted it over the second image and converted it to a mask. I then painted over the bottom part of the shadow area 
until I had revealed all of the brighter shadow areas that I wanted, uh, yet still had created an image that uh, still had a visible shadow uh, across the bottom. There was only one stop more brightness in the bottom shadow area compared to the straight shot, and that's basically because I didn't want to overdo it. I, I do have a shot uh, with a much brighter bottom, uh, but I decided to go with these two as I didn't want to deny the fact that the shadow was ever there. Also, the texture of the light would have been considerably different in the original shadow area. I'm not going to go into lots of details about exactly what I select in Photoshop to use this technique, uh, because I basically use Japanese Photoshop, and it takes a, a lot of time to figure out what all of the precise translations are of all of the menus and button names and things. So... If you need more help with masks, uh, take a listen to episode 85 of Chris Marquardt's uh, Digital Photography Tips from the Top Floor. In this episode, Chris gives some great examples of how to use layer masks. There are, uh, of course, uh, other filters uh, that I do use, um, but basically really now, uh, just protector filters, uh, UV filters on some of my lenses. These are colorless and can be used on your lenses uh, pretty much all of the time uh, just to protect the front element. There's not really any artistic and few technical implications uh, to using these uh, filters, so I'm not going to go into very much detail. Uh, the, the debate does go on and has been in the forum at martinbaileyphotography.com this week, uh, but the, the debate does go on as to whether or not uh, you should buy the best protector filter you can uh, especially if you're going to put it onto the front of some expensive glass, uh, or whether or whether you should just go for the cheapest thing that you can um, find. I personally do try to pick the best quality filters, uh, but you know, I I now actually have just got into the habit of buying Kenko uh, Pro One digital filters. Um, they have some special coating on the lenses to reduce uh, ghosting and flare, so. I've kind of gotten into using those, but uh, some say that there's no real difference, and I haven't tested it, so I, I really can't say. Uh, of course, going for the cheapest um, lens, the cheapest filter you can buy uh, is also going to be advantageous, not just because it's cheaper, the financial uh, implications, but also because uh, you know, in certain situations, uh, the protector filters actually do exactly that. They protect your lens from something that would damage it and I've had to actually had to throw away um, a a protector filter that got damaged by uh, seawater spray from the sea um, while while shooting near the shore and that basically just ate into the front of the filter and I couldn't clean it uh, so I ended up throwing that away so and actually luckily at that point it was a relatively inexpensive protector filter as well so I was lucky in both respects but when you consider that these things are going to be throwaway in some situations, going for the cheapest is also probably fine. Uh, so it really does come down to um, personal taste again. One last thing, uh, there are problems with vignetting when fitting two filters to some lenses, especially wide-angle lenses, um, and especially when you're using 35mm film or full-size sensor cameras. So you may have to remove the protector filter or UV filter, whichever you've chose, uh, that doesn't really matter um, as well, I wouldn't think. Um, but if you want to use a second filter like a polarizer or any other filter, 
you may have to re- remove the protector or UV filter before doing so, depending on the lens that you're using the filters with. I'll post a link to a topic on this on the forum in the show, no- show notes too. So I hope that this has been of some help. I have only touched on my own uses of filters and not tried to be comprehensive and cover all possibilities. To recap, I've totally stopped using my old warm-up filters uh, that I had in my film days, now depending on white balance for that. Although I was reluctant initially to do very much in Photoshop, uh, including merging two images, I'm slowly coming around to this idea and employing this technique uh, more and more in my work. I really now only use two types of physical filter for artistic purposes, that is, um, you know, as I say, in, in addition to the protector filters, and that's the solid neutral density and the polarizer filters. Once again, today's episode is going to be a few days late. I'm still pretty busy and I'm finding it difficult to prepare for each week's episode in time to swing back into my old uh, schedule of releasing on Monday or Tuesday. I'm going to try my best to get the the, uh, next episode out next Monday as this is when I'm going to announce the winner of the Contrasting Colours Photography Assignment. Thanks very much to all of you that have uh, voted for one of the images in the assignment album at mbpgalleries.com. If you haven't already voted, remember voting is still open until the end of uh, Sunday the 14th of May. The vote button will be visible above each image uh, when viewed at full size, uh, having clicked the thumbnail. So you can only vote once uh, per assignment. But if you would like to change your vote, uh, you can do um, by clicking on the vote button again and you'll be asked whether or not you want to change it. I'm not asking you to all run around changing your votes. I think you've done a very, very good job of um, selecting images that are not only artistically great, uh, all of the images in the in the gallery are, uh, but you've not only done a good job of selecting artistically good images, you've also done a great job of choosing things that are right on target for the overall idea of the contrasting colours assignment. Um, I'm happy to say that because of that, I'm not going to exercise the right that I gave myself in the in the rules of the assignment to override the vote. Um, looking at the vote so far, you know, you have done a really good job and I'm just going to leave it exactly as you um, have chosen. The last thing that I want to mention uh, is that I'm now considering accumulating votes from this and future assignments for a yearly grand prize. Maybe I can get some sponsor to give uh, a prize or two, and if not, I might spring for something myself, uh, something that you probably would want more than one of my original prints uh, as a prize, that is. So this way, I'm hoping also that... uh, The people that are maybe not lucky enough to take first prize during any of the months, uh, but that enter consistently and also consistently do great work and gain a steady flow of votes throughout the year, uh, will have the chance to win the grand prize. It will also be an incentive for people to uh, participate uh, 
in every assignment, which is obviously going to be something that will help to keep the excitement high. The members that have participated in the first assignment are pretty much all saying that they thoroughly enjoyed the experience and shooting for the assignment, uh, and that made them think in totally different ways. The traffic light shot that I made and discussed earlier was planned purely through thinking about the contrasting colours assignment and thinking about colours in general. And when I think of colours, I I kind of connected that to traffic lights, the red, the yellow and the green there. And I, I then started to think um, that it would be cool if I could get all three traffic lights in the same shot. Remember that uh, one of my personal goals and one of the rules of the assignment is uh, no cloning of objects in uh, Photoshop, cloning objects into shots, that is. Um, So I couldn't have simply uh, shot the same traffic lights three times and then cloned all of the lights into one image. Anyway, before I go off on a tangent again, uh, please come along and vote uh, by May 14th if you haven't already. And also listen out for the uh, next episode in which I'll be announcing the winner of the assignment. I'll also give uh, more details of the next assignment uh, in the next episode as well. So please uh, try and tune into that one. One more piece of housework. Uh, On request from a listener, I've created a podcast light page uh, for people that use small form factor computers such as pocket PCs. Uh, The page will load a shorter toolbar at the top and less sections uh, before the podcast archive table. And also only the latest four episodes uh, will be displayed in the index by default and not 12 as in the main page. Also, if you jump to the full-size images uh, from this page, the film strip below the large image will not be displayed, uh, so that's, again, less images to download. If you use a small form factor computer to view the page, uh, please try it out. There's a link uh, near the top of the current podcast page, which you can bookmark, and also I'll put a link in today's show notes. Finally, and this is going to be the last time that I bug you guys about this, uh, but I've been running a listener's survey. It will continue, um, but I'm advised to not bug you guys for more than two months. And that's how long it's been since I started the listener's survey. Uh, Unfortunately, we still haven't gotten enough uh, completions of the survey. We're around 80 short, so I'm not going to bug you anymore. But if you could find five minutes uh, to go along and fill out the form it's going it's really going to help me out until I get the number that is necessary I can't start advertising for a sponsor so we need a, around 80 more people so if you've not done it yet uh, obviously thank you very much to those of you that have uh, but if you've not done it yet please run along c- click on the listener survey icon on the top page of martinbaileyphotography.com or the larger image of the guy with the headphones on the podcast page and fill out the form. It's really just a five-minute task. I'll put a link in the show notes again and I probably will leave that there although I'll stop bugging you verbally. Uh, It only takes five minutes like I say so really please just run along and and do that for me and I would really really appreciate it. So that's about it. Long podcast this week. Uh, Thanks very much for listening. 
Have a great week and a great weekend, which is pretty close now. Bye-bye.